Uh, Book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 2. What do you remember from last week? Anybody? Very good. Yes. Uh, Why did they flee down to Moab? Because of a famine in the land. And of course God had told them in the book of Deuteronomy other places as well, that one of the ways that he would bring judgment on the land would be through famine. But there in Bethlehem, a place known as the house of bread, things dried up. And so Moab is just right across the Jordan River to the east in what would be Jordan, the area of Jordan today. And it looked nice and green over there. But God didn't think too kindly of the Moabites, did he? In fact, God called them his trash can. Because the way they had treated the children of Israel. And of course, the Moabites were the descendants of an incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. Uh, But anyway, they fled down to Moab instead of trusting God because the grass looked greener on the other side. And they got down to Moab and they really got beat up on because Elimelech passed away and then Naomi's two sons passed away. And as she mentioned, the two daughters-in-laws were going to come back to Bethlehem. Uh, Naomi heard that God had visited the area of Bethlehem and really all of Israel again with his favor and so she was going back home and uh, one of the daughters-in-law's turn went back she said go back to your people and your gods and Ruth said no I'm not going back wherever you go I'll go where you lodge I'll lodge your people will be my people and your God my God and so Ruth journeyed back to Bethlehem with Naomi but they come back as women who have really been beaten up by life life's been hard on Uh, they're destitute their husband's dead and of course back then uh, a woman's security was her husband or her father uh, or her sons She's lost everything. There was no social security system, no safety nets like we have today. And so she gets back and she's concerned about Ruth. Ruth's still a young woman and Ruth needs a husband. So she's concerned about that. And uh, we'll see the idea of the kinsman redeemer uh, in the book of Ruth. And of course it is a picture too later on of Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer and there's a there's a great principle too uh, concerning this because Ruth was Ruth a, a Jewish person no she was a Moabite and yet she found God's favor after she marries Boaz she actually ends up in the lineage of the Lord Jesus so she's a picture of Gentiles receiving the grace of God also. So let's pick up in chapter 2 tonight and we're going to talk about God's providential hand. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. 
And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers. And he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said... The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. 
And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning unto the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. I was thinking this week about when our mission team went down to Gulfport and Biloxi in the years after Katrina and we were working with a couple of families down there helping them to rebuild their homes. I remember one of our last trips to Gulfport we all decided one evening to pile on the bus and and ride up to Biloxi where we had worked on the first home. And I remember getting there and how the homeowners gave us a a tour of their house and how they had decorated it. And it was so beautiful to see compared to when we'd first seen it and how destroyed it was by Katrina. It was nice to see some of that neighborhood coming back together too. Uh, The FEMA trailer with the uh, pit bull tied out beside it was no longer there. The yard next door, the residents there were living in a FEMA trailer. And there was a pit bull on a chain. He kept trying to get over to us and eat us alive. He acted like he would have had he had a chance. But the FEMA trailer was gone and there was a nice neighborhood playground there for the children. But what struck me about Biloxi as we rode up the coastline right near the water there was the way that the casinos had been rebuilt. Because before Katrina, the casinos, the laws down there said that the casinos had to be on barges out in the Gulf. They couldn't be on the land. But since Katrina had blown the barges in and collapsed the casinos and all that, and that area depended on the gambling industry, unfortunately, for so much of their livelihood, they had changed the laws so that the casinos could come inland and build on the land. And so what they had done was build these massive hotels and casinos. I've never been to Las Vegas, but seeing pictures of Las Vegas on TV, the casinos and hotels there in Biloxi looks like what you would see in Las Vegas. A restaurant employee told uh, Gary Klein and myself as we were eating one night that they had committed over just the next couple of years to investing $34 billion in casinos not million billion 34 billion dollars in casinos and hotels I say all of that to mention what some people are looking for they are looking for what we would call luck 
They want to go into a casino and put some coins in the machine and pull a handle and out pops riches. Or they want to go to a gas station or a convenience store and buy a lottery ticket and they hope to strike it big. They're looking for free money. They're looking for good luck. I guess you heard about the preacher up north. True story. The preacher up north, I think it's in Illinois, who was preaching so fervently against the lottery until his wife won it. (laughs) I'm serious. Sad. Every day, though, we meet people who want to get lucky in life. They want something free. And we know as believers, we are not to be that way. We're not to be out there doing things that we don't need to be doing in the first place and just looking for something for free or looking for luck. We are to trust in God. All through Scripture... We see that we are to trust in God and and we are to count on Him. We are to depend upon Him because all through the pages of Scripture we see the providential hand of God. God looking after His people. Folks, that's what we see here in Ruth chapter 2. We see the providential hand of God. The first thing I want you to see with me tonight is God's work. God's work. Look back at verse 22 of chapter 1. It says, So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. We see God's work here. God has gotten Naomi and Ruth back where they need to be. Or gotten Naomi back where she needs to be who brought Ruth with her. Folks, we need to remember last week's message. Remember how Elimelech took his family down to the place where they shouldn't have been? As I said a few moments ago at the opening when I was asking you what you remembered about last week. Instead of trusting God, Elimelech apparently wanted to come up with his own plan of how to take care of his family. I mean you can see why he felt that way. Grass was greener on the other side. But instead of trusting God, he'd gone over to Moab. Even though Moab was a despised place because of the way they had trusted God's people, they took off to Moab. Again, a natural thing to do, but not the best thing to do. They should have consulted God. And the far country had beaten up on them. And now all the men and the family have died in the foreign land and Naomi and Ruth are coming back home. They are whipped and they're humiliated. And Naomi says, when everybody in town, all the women who remembered Naomi, remember they've been gone from Bethlehem for at least 10 years. And she gets back in town in her village and the women say, who's that? Is that Naomi? Her name meant pleasant. 
she says, don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me Mara, bitter. Because the hand of the Lord has been strong against me. But you know, we see that even though God had disciplined them, God had not forgotten them. Aren't you glad God doesn't forget his children? And so Naomi feels led to go back home. Again, God's work. He's no doubt pushing her gently to get back where she needs to be. And and then here's Ruth. Ruth is a changed woman. She has seen a difference between the gods of her people, the Moabites, and the god of Naomi, who's the god of Israel. Even though she's married into a disobedient Israelite family, nonetheless, she has seen enough of the work of God to know that she doesn't want to be counted among the Moabite numbers anymore. She wants to be counted among Naomi's people, the Israelites. And so they come back to Bethlehem and they come back at the right time. Naomi has learned that God has visited his people again. And so she strikes out for Bethlehem, the house of bread. Now, according to verse 22 of chapter 1, it is the beginning of the barley harvest. Good news. The land that was once filled with a famine is now enjoying a barley harvest. God is once again providing for his people. And so the scene is being set. God is at work. Folks, we need to remember that behind the scenes, even when we don't see it at the time, God is at work. God's always at work. Jesus talked about that in John 5, didn't he? About how the Father is working and has been working up to the current time. And Jesus said, and I am working too. God is always at work even when we don't see it. Sometimes leading us through very difficult circumstances. I think of the 1859 novel, A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. It began with the famous statement... It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Most people stop right there. But Dickens went on to say it was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going directly to heaven. We were all going directly the other way. Dickens' words there sound a little bit like the days of the the judges, doesn't it? Because the days of the judges, the time period that Ruth is set within is a, 
is a time of a certain amount of spiritual schizophrenia, isn't it? People go this direction until they get comfortable, and then they forget God. God brings despair on them. Then they cry out to God out of their despair. God gives them a judge, a deliverer. They're back on the right path again. They're going the right direction. They turn around and go the wrong direction. God gets them back the right direction. Then they go the wrong direction. That characterized this age. But the book of Ruth shows us that in the worst of times, God is planning for the best of times. And that's what he's doing here. It was the beginning of the barley harvest. Wow, what a statement. Don't just quickly read past those words in verse 22. It was time for the barley harvest. God's not silent. God's at work. God has brought his people through a time of famine, a time of judgment, and now God is shining his favor on them once again. Now, no doubt you can probably see similar things like this as you look back in your life. Times that were good, times that were bad. Times that you sense God's favor and direction. Times that God was disciplining you and you were in a spiritual famine. Maybe you can sense that in your your own life. We see it in a lot of the Bible characters. We see it in Jacob. We see it in Joseph. We see it in Abraham. We see it in Moses. On and on and on. We can go through the Old Testament. Now in chapter 2 verse 1 we're introduced to Boaz who is the kinsman redeemer or who will end up being that. His name means strength. And we're told here that he was kinfolk and he was wealthy. Now folks, remember what a kinsman redeemer could do. If you were sold into slavery as your kin, he could pay the price of redemption to buy you and set you free. If you lost your land, you know, it could be 50 years before it would come back to you in the year of Jubilee, but he could buy it back for you. In the case of a widow of his kinfolk, He could marry her. Those are just some of the things that a kinsman redeemer could do. Now in the book of Ruth, the kinsman redeemer is a picture of who? Of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was made like us. He was made like us. Fully God, yes, but also fully man. Kinfolk, if you will, right? God didn't send an angel. God sent his son who came in human flesh, made like us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1 says. He's mighty, he's wealthy, all powerful, owns everything. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. It's 
So we see God's work in that too. Well, secondly, we see Ruth's request. Look at verse 2. It says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Now, what's happening right here shows her poverty. She wanted to glean. Why would anybody want to glean in a field? It meant that they had no field of their own. They had no possession of their own. And so gleaning in the Old Testament was one of God's ways of looking after the poor. Ruth's request was was according to what was commanded in the book of Deuteronomy. Widows were to be looked after and poor folks were to be looked after. They were to be allowed to glean. In Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Let me start by reading in Leviticus. Leviticus 19 verses 9 to 10 says, Now when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 17 to 19 For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords The great, the mighty and the awesome God Who does not show partiality nor take a bribe He executes justice for the orphan and the widow And shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing So show your love for the alien, for you were once aliens in the land of Egypt. And then again, Deuteronomy 24, verses 19 to 22 says, When you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. In order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands, when you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not go over it again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. And so the fact that Ruth wants to go out, she makes a request to be able to go to this field to glean, shows that they're in that category of of the poor, the poverty-stricken, the widows. They have no possession of their own, no wealth of their own. They're destitute and helpless And so she needed to glean in the field of another. Well, the admirable thing about Ruth is she's taking responsibility. She's not just sitting back. She knows that God will supply her needs, but she knows that she needs to get out there and work. 
Folks, this was a wonderful plan for God looking after the poor. He didn't just give them a handout. He, pro- he protected their dignity. And so God is giving them a chance to preserve their dignity and work for what they get. The system we have today robs the poor of their dignity and it creates a sense of entitlement. God's plan gave the poor something to do, something that they could take part in in working. How many times do we sit back and say, God will supply? Well, he will. But does this mean that I don't have to work? Doesn't mean that at all, does it? We've got to take responsibility. God will provide, but he expects us to work. When he created Adam and Eve to work the garden, he created them to be productive. Well, in verse 3 of chapter 2, it says, She happened. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. She happened. In the Hebrew, it reads, She chanced. From man's standpoint of view, it looks like coincidence. It looks like fate. And tragically, there are people who live by that philosophy. They think that fate or some kind of blind luck leads them. But folks, from God's standpoint, it's not coincidence at all. It's not blind luck at all. It is the providential hand of God. In verse 4, we see that Boaz is a godly man. In verse 1, he's described as a man of great wealth. It's the same description that Solomon gives in Proverbs 31 of the virtuous woman. Proverbs 31.10 says, Who can find an excellent wife? Excellent being the key word there. It is the same word that is used of Boaz here in this verse. And so Boaz was a man of high standing. He's a man of noble character. Not just a wealth of his wallet though, but a wealth of his character. He's a noble man. Now, we're not sure where he, we're not told where he has been that morning, but when he gets to his fields, we see his godly character come out, and even the way he pronounces a blessing on his workers, and they pronounce a blessing to him right back. What a great thing to work in that kind of environment, isn't it? It shows something about the type of people that we are dealing with here in in the book of Ruth. Folks, these are people of character. These are people of faith. These are people of the covenant promises of God. 
The third thing I want you to see tonight is Boaz's favor. Beginning there in verse 5. Boaz's favor. Boaz evidently was the most eligible bachelor in Bethlehem. And he looks at Ruth and says to his servant, Whose young woman is this? Now some want to say he's saying different things. We don't know. He might just, just curiosity say. Whose young woman is this? Or he might be saying... Whose young woman is this? <laughs> Look at what Boaz says to her. Stay in my field. I've made provision that they leave you alone and drink when you're thirsty. Now remember again, he's a picture of the Lord Jesus. Think of all the blessings that we have in Christ. Jesus offers a home. He's with us. He offers us protection. Just the way Boaz did here. He offers us comfort and peace. He offers us sustenance and provision. Again, just like Boaz here. Boaz is a picture of Christ. And that's going to come out more and more in the story later on. Well, how does she respond? Verse 10 points out that she responds with gratitude. Now, maybe Ruth was attractive and that played into him noticing her. But, but you know what the greater mystery is? Why has Christ shown us his favor? We were not attractive, were we? The Bible describes us as we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And yet, Christ showed his favor. You know, we oftentimes ask why in difficult times. But do we ever ask why concerning the abundance that we have in Christ? Do, do we ever say, God, why are you so good to me? God, why have you blessed me so much? Why have you given me so much? Why have you provided so much for me? You know, we complain about if we don't think God's done enough, do we ever question God, why have you done so much for me? Why have you set your affections on me? You see, this whole narrative here in Ruth chapter 2 is a lesson on how God has set his affections on you and me. Folks, we were Gentiles. We were strangers and aliens to the covenants of God. Strangers. Just read Ephesians 2 sometimes about that. We were alienated away from God. We were distant from Him. We were not reconciled to Him. And yet in Christ, God set His affections on us and showed us His favor. Verses 11 and 12, notice that good behavior travels fast. Good behavior travels fast. He says... Here, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. 
And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before? May the Lord repay you. You reap what you sow, right? Galatians 6 tells us that. You reap what you sow. Good character pays off. Now, folks, at this point, I want to remind you that salvation is not of works, and yet Scripture says that God knows our hearts. God knew Ruth's heart. He knew Boaz's heart. A person of character, yes. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. yep. Sin, sin cost him, didn't it? But God's reward, Ruth wanted to be counted among the people of God. So he's bringing reward on her judgment on we would assume judgment on Elimelech and his two sons but now on the other hand he's showing his favor to Ruth you know in some ways Ruth who are two people in the New Testament that would remind you of Ruth what God did for him in the book of Acts, who are two people. Two lost people in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 8, there's an Ethiopian eunuch who is a God-fearer, and he's been up to Jerusalem to worship And while he was in Jerusalem to worship, he's bought a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. And he's in his chariot going back, and he's on the desert road. And he's reading from Isaiah, and he's reading from the 53rd chapter. Philip's in a revival up in Samaria, and God says to Philip, go down to the desert road that leads to Gaza. Not even the main highway, the desert road. And and Luke tells us that it's noontime, a desert road at noon, and yet... Here's this lonely traveler on it. God gets a missionary to him. God gets a missionary to him. Here's Cornelius, a God-fearing man. Acts chapter 10. God says to Simon Peter, gives him a dream. Get up there and share the gospel with Cornelius. He gets up there to Cornelius and shares the gospel Cornelius comes to faith in Christ and his family. God fears. You see, God was already pursuing them. God was already stirring their hearts like Zacchaeus to where they were seeking after God. And God made sure they got a missionary. Here's Ruth. 
wanting to be counted with the people of God, with Naomi's people and Naomi's God. And here's God lining things up in her life so that she will eventually be counted among the covenant people of God. I see a hand over here. That covered it. Yeah. Sure, sure. God lining up all the people and all the circumstances. Because again, who is Ruth going to end up being? She's going to be in the lineage of who? Jesus Christ. Yeah. 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 Following up with his statement too, I see God bringing good out of God even having a purpose in bad. Because to to go down to Moab, I think, was a sign of not trusting God. Like Abraham fleeing to Egypt. And yet, Ruth was there. And God was going to get her back. And she was going to be in the lineage of the Messiah. Don't think that God didn't know that. He's sovereign. He's, He's moving all these pieces around on the chessboard. So it was disobedience on Elimelech's part, but God even worked in that. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, like good point though. Like I said last week, it's terrible advice that Naomi gave her daughters-in-law. Go back to your people and to your gods. Orpha listens and she walks off the pages of scripture forever. She walks off back into lostness. Naomi is a part of the covenant people of God and yet she's telling her two Moabite daughter-in-laws go back to your gods. Terrible advice. That'd be like a Christian encouraging a non-Christian to go back to their pagan ways. Yet again, God had purposes in Ruth. Ruth didn't listen. I'm not going to turn back. Where you go, I'll go. Your people be my people. Your God, my God. I'm sorry, Michelle. Speak up. Can you speak up? Rahab?
Good point. Lots of comparisons between what God did in Rahab's life and Ruth's life. Rahab turned away from her pagan people and was counted among the people of God. Yeah. But again, what, what's, the, what, again, what's the gospel in that for you and me? We're Gentiles. What's Paul say in Romans 1.16? What's he say there about the gospel? It is the power unto God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Right? Right. It is a firm principle. The working out of it may not be in this life. It may be in eternity. I think that's what you're meaning to say. It is a firm principle. You'll reap what you sow. The working out of it may not come immediately. But it will come. I, th- I think that's the point you're trying to make. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, uh, I want you to notice something uh, that happens next in verses 14 to 16. Notice what all Boaz ends up doing for Ruth. He did far more for Ruth than she could have ever expected. He did far more for her than she asked. He ends up serving her. She eats and is satisfied. Back in verse 9, she was allowed to drink what the servants drew. Now, Boaz is saying, come here. And he serves her. Folks, back then as a woman, and especially a foreigner, she was supposed to do the serving even to the servants. But they serve her, and now Boaz, the landowner, is serving her. What's that a picture of? A picture of grace. A picture of grace. God does more than we could ask or think. In verses 17 to 18, the amount that he measures out, it's about two weeks worth of grain for two women. She has somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds of grain. It's a staggering amount for just one day of gleaning. Uh, Ruth shares with, she carries home and shares with Naomi. Again, character, character. Verses 20 to 23, Naomi recognizes that Boaz is a close relative. You got to wonder at this point if Naomi is not doing some figuring, some dreaming and hoping in her mind. Kind of like mamas and daddies with their children wanting the best. And, you know, their child gets involved in something, they, and maybe the parent sees it as being good and thinks, hmm, yeah, 
yeah, I see where this mic could go. You know. Well, let me, uh, let me close tonight by giving some lessons. We, lesson number one, we see essentials of the gospel here in Ruth chapter 2. As we've already pointed out, God sets his affections on us and he is working behind the scenes to draw us to Christ. Secondly, when it comes to God's children, God makes a way when there seems to be no way. God brings beauty out of ashes. Here were two ladies in a foreign land without hope. They've come back home. It's the right time. And Ruth just happens to end up in the right field owned by the right person. Folks, Naomi and Ruth could not have been the ones writing this script. No way. This is the hand of God writing this script. Thirdly, again as I pointed out, character matters. Character matters. Fourth, the only fitting response to grace is gratitude. At every turn, we see Ruth being someone who is grateful for what she has and for what people are doing for her. Circumstances have not been kind to her. She's a widow at a young age. She's a foreigner in the land. She would have been somebody who had no rights whatsoever. Many people would have been bitter and lonely and had pity parties. But Ruth picks herself up, she works, and she is grateful. And then a last lesson. God has a way of doing far more goodness toward us than we could have ever expected.